Welcome to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. Hi, this is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast. You can contact host Stephen Brittingham anytime by email. Send your thoughts or feedback to hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. And now, here's your host, Stephen Brittingham. Hi, friends and listeners. Host Stephen Brittingham here. My special guest on the podcast is actor Robert F. Lyons. This is Robert's second visit to Hollywood and beyond. Be sure to stay tuned after the conclusion of this episode for more information on how to listen to Robert's first appearance on the show, as well as hear a sample of our conversation, not to be missed. The episode is titled, Robert F. Lyons, Hollywood Memories and Stories. Today, Robert will be sharing memories of filming 1970s Getting Straight. His co-stars that include Elliot Gold and Candace Bergen, and being directed by Richard Rush for Columbia Pictures. It's too late for those kind of answers. You'll drive them crazy, Dr. Vandenberg. They'll burn down your school. You are turning them into full-scale revolutionaries. Do you really believe we're going to turn this school over to a bunch of kids who pay a few hundred dollars a year nominal tuition and that that qualifies them to run a university that has produced four governors, three senators, and a president of the United States? Dr. Vandenberg! Harry, I am a liberal man. A liberal, enlightened man who has, I hope, the courage when the chips are down not to be intimidated by a misguided mob of pseudo-political novices with inflamed literary imagination. Stop it! Someday you'll say me! Please, listen to me! Stop it! You've been a naval commander. You are a doctor. You have a PhD in history. Why haven't you learned anything? It's all there. It's all there in Toynbee in those books on the shelf. Suppression breeds violence. You're going to raise the curfew an hour? Will you look outside? Reflecting on his draft-dodging character, Nick. Nick. Good morning, my child. For Christ's sakes, man, what are you dressed up like that for? Oh, not for Christ's sake. For Buddha's sake. A religious deferment. Yes, yes. You see, we of the Bahia, Baba Buddha, Buddhist Brotherhood, are committed to non-involvement. Right. But you're also committed to take a test for me today, remember? Oh, yes, yes, I know. I have not forgotten. Nick, are you high? Yes. On love and brotherhood, inner peace. Yeah, what else? What else? Oh, come on, Harry. Don't. I mean, it's too early in the morning for that. I just had breakfast. I can smell the brownies in your breath. Yeah, and it's better in brownies than in rice krispies. Nick, are you going to be able to remember the answers? Remember the answers? Okay, then miss one or two just to make it look good, okay? It's an honor to have Robert F. Lyons discuss this film 
and to return to the show. I appreciate this opportunity very much. Welcome back to Hollywood and Beyond, Robert. Thank you very much, Stephen. I'm very happy to be here, and happy, happy New Year, by the way. Well, thank you, sir. It's an honor and pleasure, and, and happy New Year to you and family as well. Thank you. Much, much appreciated. Excited to discuss getting straight. Uh, thank you uh, in advance for this wonderful opportunity to discuss this film. I, I am so excited about this. Well, I am too. I, I loved filming it and meeting with all those actors, and, and uh, it was a wonderful time. The whole, the whole event. Um, there's always wonderful memories, uh, at least for me, uh, of having done a, you know, a guest star on television or a, a good part in a film. You get to meet all new people and friendships. It's like a, a family. And then you say goodbye. And sometimes you don't see some of those again, or you see them all again. It's, it's a fascinating world. I must say. The experience stays with you, doesn't it? After uh, wrapping up a, a film project yeah, or television project. Absolutely. It does. It does. Because there's always fascinating stories and, and people, uh, that things happen to or with or wonderful things. So, yeah, it's exciting. This film has so many layers, Robert. Uh, depictions <laughs> of inner turmoils. Uh, characters searching for a place in this world, so to speak. All during an era of change, uh, upheaval, and unrest that was going on throughout the country. Uh, right. For example... Uh, civil rights, the war in Vietnam, I, I mean, all women's rights for that matter, all sorts of uh, uh, complexities and, and situations occurring. And this film, to me, having just uh, viewed it for a second time recently, I feel like I stepped back into time. I'm really, really impressed with the film and the performances. And I'll tell you what, it includes absolutely extraordinary performances from you, Elliot, and Candace. Literally, the whole cast was sensational. But I did want to commend the three of you as the main leads. Just incredible performances. And I thought before diving into memories of uh, appearing in the film, do you recall approximately what you were doing in your career right before uh, appearing in Getting Straight? Yeah, I was uh, because I had done one film called Pendulum, and uh, I had a decent part in that. I played the bad guy, and George Papard was the cop who was coming after me. So I had done that, and you know, you're you're looking for new parts, um, and I I got one, and they paid us off, and we never made the film. And that was so disappointing. Uh, it was a wonderful film called The Color of Evening. And uh, it was written from a book by Robert Nathan. The Color of Evening, it was beautiful. It was a young painter and an old painter, but we didn't get to do it. And so I was doing television and getting more television parts. And then this came along. And believe it or not, because, you know, I also teach acting. And so many different kinds of stories happen. Um 
it was uh, like a secretary to Richard Rush, who I had not met, who saw me in Pendulum and went to him and said, you, you've got to see this actor. You must see this actor for this part. And uh, she kept promoting me. So here I'm being promoted by somebody I never met. And the reason <laughs> she saw me was that our drive-in theaters were there, and she used to have to take her dog to the theater so she could sit in the car with her dog while she went to the drive-in theater. And she saw Pendulum at a drive-in theater here and just liked me, liked my acting and and promoted me. And promoted me to the point where he went, okay, bring him in. And, uh, and he hired me. So... <laughs> you never know. You never know who's in your corner. That's uh, right. You that just never have, know. <laughs> it can have some influence. No, it's true. It's that can have influence that uh, gets you to see uh, and meet a decision maker. It's kind of fascinating in a way. It really I never is. Never forgot that. No, her name was Sheila Murphy, and she was, uh, I guess, the secretary to Rush at the time. And, um, so when I tell people and you're going up to meet people, be nice to everyone because <laughs> you never know, you never know who's in your corner. And That's many, right. many times there's recasting, uh, of films. I mean, you sometimes hear about it years later. Uh, and it's like, what? That person was supposed to do the part, but couldn't do it. Either stepped out, got ill or decided to turn it down for something else and somebody else steps in. And those are opportunities for other actors. I mean, I have stepped in for other actors, so I know what that's like. And, um, it's exciting. I mean, the, the defiant ones with, uh, Sidney Poitier, who's one of my favorite actors and Tony Curtis and Tony Curtis won the Oscar, but originally it was set with Marlon Brando and, uh, Poitier, and I went, whoa, I've got to see that film with those two actors. Because uh, Brando was by far my favorite actor up to that time. And then Poitier, my God, that would have been a very different movie. Yet he stepped down for whatever reason or was still doing something else. Tony Curtis stepped in, did a fine job, but... I just wanted to see Marlon and Sydney going at it. That's all. <laughs> I don't blame you. That sounds yeah. pretty good to me. And 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 thank you for sharing all of that. You know, I was thinking of how important it is to be respectful and courteous to, you know, even the secretaries at production offices or agencies because they could be the casting directors or directors of tomorrow, and and they might remember they how you treated them at one point. <laughs> No, I'm telling you, the secretary you meet today wants to own the studio tomorrow. There you go. And will, and some of them will. Absolutely. And they will remember, and they will remember you. And if you do well, they somehow remember you. Uh, it's happened to me. It's, uh, it's like, who? Wow. Um, so I don't mind sharing it because it's, it's a real human story, and everyone makes like, Hollywood is so difficult. It's, it it can be difficult because people make decisions about you if they don't know you, and it's usually no, because they they have problems meeting people. <laughs> <I found laughs> out it's not so much me; 
they're not good at it either. <laughs> yes, that's true. We all have our challenges. That That is very true within the industry. Well, I found a great agent once by that. You know, I called up and... And he said, yes, who, who, who are you? And I said, well, I'm an actor looking for representation. We're not taking any. I said, okay. Uh, I said, let me ask you something. Um, how do you turn someone down you've never met? I mean, how do you do that? And I was really asking a question. I wasn't being smart, uh, wise guy. I was actually wondering, was there something they could perceive? They said, what do you mean? You, you can't take everyone. I said, yeah, but how do you know? You're not passing up on the best thing coming down the pike. And he looked at that. He said, well, you're right. In a way, we could be saying no to it. I said, how can you do that without meeting them? <laughs> well, we talked. And he started off by saying no way. And at 5.30 that day, I signed with him. Oh, wow. Wow. And there you did, go. And we, did, yeah, and we did very well together. Very That's well. great. That that's yeah, that's I mean, that's a good way to get it done right there. <laughs> wow. Well, I actually have passed that on because people, you know, when I did Pendulum, there was a Billy Gordon was the casting director at Columbia Studios where Pendulum and Getting Straight were made. My first two films were made at Columbia Studios, and when I came, he said, "I want, I want to see you when you sign your contract." So I went down with my agent. And that was my first movie. I'd done a few television shows and now I was stepping into features. And at that time that was a big step. And he said, in a very kind of gruff voice, he said, sit down, kid. I want to tell you something. <laughs> well, my agent first mentioned me to him. He said, now I know him. He's not right. And he went on and hung up. And my agent kept calling back and saying, no, no, Billy, you got to see him. He's your actor. You, you will love it. He said, no, 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 it's wrong. And my agent just kept calling and calling <laughs> and at the same time, they weren't finding the right actor for the role. And finally, they were running out of actors. So he said, geez, send him in. So when I came in and I did my audition, he called up and he said, you were right. All right. So he tells me that story while I'm sitting there. And he said, Kit, and he points to my agent. He wore me down. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole story of what you're doing. You wear them down. And I thought, how sweet. He was willing to admit he was wrong. Not terribly, like a terrible thing, but I was, mm -hmm. he was wrong. He prejudged. He actually thought I was somebody else. So hmm. he heard the name. He put a different face on my name, and he thought that's who the agent was talking about. And that really struck me as the whole story, because he wanted me to know this business is all about you persisting, continuing, and wearing them down till they say, okay. And you want to know what? That's all it is. <laughs> I know it's an oversimplification, but he wanted me to know that's what it is. That people will say no, 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 and after a while they go, well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> and then they go, hey, I, I like that idea after all. And before you, know. so he wanted to tell me that as a young actor, so that I realized just keep going, just keep um, going, just continue to do. Somebody will see you eventually, and expect you the unexpected because at any time there could be an opportunity, just like you shared uh, with your story. Yeah, 
and then you must be ready. You got to be ready when that opportunity comes to you. You have to be ready, ready. Prior to working with Elliot Gold and getting straight, Elliot had appeared in the film version of MASH, uh, received a lot of critical praise. Uh, Had you ever met him beforehand by chance? No. But I auditioned with him the second time. I did two auditions for the part. And he was available. Did you feel a chemistry right away? Um, At that time, I think so, as best to my memory. But at that time, I had gotten pretty uh, daring with myself. I was willing to take risks. And... And in New York, I had learned improvisation quite well. So I had a freedom about myself. Uh, In spite of the fact that I'm pretty shy, that combination of doing the acting and improvisational feel for acting, meaning you don't know what's going to happen next. That's the way I was taught. Play it in a way that the audience doesn't know where we're going with this. And that improvisational gave me that feel. And Elliot and I just played and really pushed on one another. I mean, it became personal in that room. And uh, because I remember going over Richard Rush's couch, and I know he loved it. Uh, next thing I know, I got the part. So, And it was nice meeting Elliot, because I think they had Elliot there for whoever was reading the part to see... Uh, how he got along with the actor. Because when you're doing the lead, you know, you want to have people that you feel comfortable with. And Ellie and I never had one crossword ever. We agreed on everything. And I had heard, Robert, uh, actually read this the other day while preparing for your interview, that they wanted Elliot so much as the lead character that I believe it was Columbia Pictures, they basically said if he wasn't going to be in it, they weren't going to do it. Wow, I never heard that. That's interesting. And I just thought I'd share that with you. And I also read where Elliot responded that he had never been so flattered. And um, uh, so I thought I'd mention that to you because it does seem like this film, I'll tell you, he just has a lot on his shoulders. He's kind of like the driving force. And uh, you two both just have this wonderful chemistry as friends. And, and, and I mean, you're sure you're kind of going down uh, somewhat different paths in a way. Uh, but I tell you what, uh, you two worked so nicely together. It's one of the things I really enjoy about the film. Anytime you two are together on screen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful because he's, he he has a big heart. He's very warm-hearted. He's an intelligent man. And, and he's just got a big heart. And we enjoyed working with one another. We just did. It's like one of those things where you 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 get along. Um, it's like, uh, in a way, uh, Charles Bronson loved working with me. He just loved it. Why? I only know that he liked my acting. That's all I know. Uh, but he loved having me on the film and he would fight to get me on the next one. I did three films with him. And you two look so natural together. When I think about your time on screen together, you you probably recall how much I admire and, and, and cherish Charles Bronson. And, um, 
you know, it was, I, it was, that, that is just wonderful to hear how much he valued you as a co-star. I, yeah, because he, he, he actually fought for me and then his wife wound up Jill Ireland at the time, uh, wound up producing the last film I did with him, which was Murphy's law. And by that, by then I was like a part of a family, which was, you know, the Bronson family, the people who worked with him all the time. And, you know, Charlie wasn't much for words, but he came from the heart. And when he liked something, he liked it. It's that simple. Uh, and when he didn't like it, he didn't like it. It was that simple <laughs> way. I mean, yeah, to me, he was. You knew where he stood. <laughs> yeah, he was. You did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just fortunate, like, that he liked the style of my acting. And he had wanted me for a previous film. The director went elsewhere. Doesn't matter. Um, it ticked him off. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe Murphy's so, Law and Death Wish 2, is that correct? You you co-starred with him? That's right. And then yeah. the uh, other one would be, let's see here. Ten to Midnight. There you go. Ten to midnight. Wow. Yeah. Well, that says so yeah. much about you that he enjoyed working with you so much. And I, I just I love Charles Bronson. He was, I just love Charlie. I mean, it was just wonderful that somebody looked at your work and said, I got to have that guy uh, on my film. I just loved it. Um, I don't know. It made me proud and it gave me work. And Bronson was such a figure. I mean, somebody did a book on him called Bronson's Loose, and he interviewed me and gave me a whole chapter to talk about Charlie. And what's interesting is a week from today, I'm doing a taped interview for the re-release of Death Wish 2. So they attach it to the end so that you can um, hear what other actors that were on the film had to say about working with Charlie, you're working on the film, much like what we're doing. Congratulations. Uh, that sounds very yeah. exciting. Uh, I'll definitely yeah, be on the lookout for that. Yes, thanks. Thank you. I love doing this, though, because, you know, working with people like uh, Charlie was, I don't know, just, it was wonderful. Just wonderful. And for him to say, no, get me, Bobby, get me, yeah. That was just like, wow. He wants my work next to him. I mean, uh, Makes me very proud uh, to be a part of that family, you know. Because there are like groups that bring their entourage with them when they can, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't blame them. Uh, you know, directors want people around them that are going to do the work that needs to be done. Not argue about it, or but have certain you- crews. I've been reading more and more of how yeah. directors are like, you know, I'm going to do this film, but I want the same crew or most of these folks for my next project. Cause they just they understand do. each other so well. No, they, that, um, that happens all the time because yes. it's reliable. It's partly why actors keep working who are working is that you show up professionally, you get the work done and you bring as much as you can, a better performance than the other guy, at least you expect to be. Well, Robert, yeah. let me ask you, when you think back to the auditions with Elliot, did you have any original impression of the script or whatever you were able to have access to? Uh, I, mean, I mean, what was your original 
you know, thoughts of the film going in? I was scared to death. (laughs) 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 It was just this phenomenon that would go on. It was like, I read it and go, my God. Because the funny thing is, is like Richard only gave me in the very beginning, he gave me a note after the first rehearsal of, of the first scene where Elliot says to me, Hey, Nick, do you, you have the money? I owe you. It's the opening scene in the movie for me. And I say, yeah, yeah, I got it written down. And he gave me a note <laughs> about it. And it was the only note he gave me. And the other thing was, I suggested something for a scene. He said, yeah, you're right. Set it up. And those are the only two things about the movie. Otherwise, he cut me loose and let me do what I did. Um, uh, which, the big scene where it's like almost five minutes long where I just shoot the scenery up. I mean, it was yes. interesting. Yes. But that scene was terrifying because it was me that mentioned you should be laughing and he went, go ahead, and laughing is the hardest, or at that time. We filmed this in six, 1969. It's the hardest thing for me to do. I know exactly what moment of the film you're talking about. That's that's yes. the scene where, to me, you just uh, shine through the most. Uh, that's a scene where I think, here is an example of two actors at the top of their craft. Wow. Yeah, it is an exciting scene, I must say. It's like the guy just goes nuts on drugs. That's basically what it is. And uh, what it was, was I said, gee, the guy should be laughing. And and Rush said to me on that scene, he said, set it up, you're right. And I was terrified. How am I going to do this? Because it was the hardest thing for me to do was to laugh on film. I'm not kidding. You can understand this is the second it, it, film. It's not just a <laughs> typical laugh, is it? I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, I almost felt uncomfortable as a viewer. Like, oh, my goodness. Um it, he's, it he's, is there's something wrong with Nick here. And, and obviously, uh, Elliot's character started, uh, responding that way too. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's a great, great scene in the film. I was so impressed with, um, your choices and yes, that laughter, uh, it, it's really impressive. You would be surprised how I brought it about because I was terrified. I couldn't find a way to do it. And that laughter is so insane. And it's like, it's like one of those laughters that's not just laughing. It's like an uncontrollable. <laughs> yes. You know. And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you how, because my students, when I teach them, they wonder how I did it. How did I prepare for it? Well, there was a, a wonderful man who was a grip. And a, a funny little guy with funny hats running around the set. And uh, I said, Walter, do me a favor. We, were, we do this scene. Now, there was a window in the set um, that the camera didn't see. It never saw the window. And there's a point where I hit this uh, right in front of him in the beginning of the scene. I'm, I'm being a Marine and tapping on this bookshelf. Well, the window was just behind that bookshelf. And I'm looking at this guy. to go around and looks at that window for me with this funny little hat. And the fact that the guy said, yep, 
And he never asked me why. He just ran around the set and then got into the window, which was very low. And when I came through that door, here was this guy peeking at me through the window, and I lost it. I just absolutely (laughs) lost it. I felt like I was getting away with something. Executives pay me all this money, and I'm down here in the studio doing stuff like that. It was like high school. It was like getting away with something in high school. I swear to God. And I, we shot that scene all day long. It's four and a half minutes long. That's a very long scene in filmmaking. Yes. Um, uh, people would say, well, Ben-Hur is a really long scene. I, I'd have to agree. But for just straight acting, no horses and chariots, just and a very different, you know, um, he had a style Rush used throughout the film where um, he would switch the uh, what was in focus to the rear and then back again. And it, the scene has to be a little bit choreographed when you're doing that. You, you know, So you rehearse it two or three times to make sure everybody is on the same page. I hope I'm being clear what, what I'm talking about. Yes, uh, those uh, like in focus, out of focus, uh, yes. Up close, seeing someone far away. Uh, I yeah. really like those shots. Yeah, well, that was the style throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, people use it usually as one shot in a film. Uh, I've even used it as a director because I learned it from Rush. But uh, this film was using it throughout. It was part of the style of the film. And... Um, and losing the focus from one point to another is always done on someone's move. If it's just a turn of the head or whatever, but the camera will follow that person's movement to the new focus. It was interesting. I hope I'm explaining it right. There's actually you sure a did. term for You explained yeah. it uh, so well. Thank you so much, Robert. And I would like to ask you, you know, we've discussed your character a little bit, but it did appear to me that... I mean, am I wrong on this? But I think every scene, the character was on something. You know, he was either high on something or taking something, uh, even though he could have conversations. But it just seems like I got that groove every time I saw you on screen. Stoned all day long. Yes. That's one way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, there were kids like that back then. I mean, there were. You know, I mean... uh, that, that period was a very real period for me. I got to tell you, it was going on. Uh, the whole Vietnam War and this country hating it. I mean, to me, it was the first time that the United States and the kids got involved in such a way that they didn't want to go to war. And the politicians couldn't understand it. You mean to tell me that... Uh, you think you have a say in this? I mean, they had to, I think the politicians had to grow up and go, wait a minute, they mean business. And then, you know, they sent the National Guard, I think it was Kent University. These guys started shooting kids. Mm. I mean, it was actually happening. Yes, yes. Uh, the atmosphere of the film um, 
makes that really clear. You know, isn't it interesting, Robert? On the one hand, you have the storylines of the characters, right? But you also have this turmoil going on with the student body and the university and just the 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 era in general. And it's interesting that when it, it kind of builds up this tension, I feel as, as a viewer, where all of a sudden, you know, the, when the riots really start at the university, it really grabs you. And then later on, when Elliot's character pretty much has a breakdown, I mean, that in itself is very dramatic. And I just thought that was all built up really nicely. Yeah, it was. There were so many points, as you were saying earlier, there were so many um, angles that this film was talking about. Uh, All the racism of the day. I mean, it's all over the news now. I mean, there are so many points of that film that are going on right now. All and these decades like, later. Yeah. Isn't that something 50 else? years. Yes. 50 years. And those same talking points and arguing points are happening. And they're on the news 24-7. I mean, it's like, what? Did we really move on? Or did we just change designs of clothes? I mean, you've got to wonder. All the nonsense about Afghanistan... Here's about a war. I mean, Afghanistan, it's like 20 years. Like, let's get out of there. And we did. But all the talk of what's going on with how we got out. And everything is racism. To, I mean, it's just point for point. It's like all these issues have just transformed into new, yet also pretty much the same in one way or another uh, issues. Yes, they are. And that yeah. is uh, something else to think about. Now, the filming yeah. location, Robert, it, it, the film kind of depicts this at being at a university in California, I believe, but I noticed it never really named the university. However, I discovered that all of you filmed the movie in Eugene, Oregon. And right. from what I understand... Um, I think it was Lane Community College, that part of the college was under construction and that this really helped the director with certain scenes because you wouldn't be disturbing the uh, actual student body, so to speak. No, they were originally going to do it at the University of Oregon. And then they heard about this college and because of all of the, the way it was designed, Rush decided to do it there and, and moved it. That's what I understand. I see. Um, And what about the extras? Because, I mean, had a lot of extras. I imagine these were just folks from that area for the most part. They're all from that area. Yes, you are right. Well, they did a great job, too. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, they had like a few stuntmen in with all the kids. uh, Or they had kids that were willing to do stunts. I really don't know, uh, because I wasn't in that. Um, one scene that I did, which was cut out, about, about, about half of what I actually filmed was cut out. Wow. Yeah. Otherwise, the film would have ran like three hours. I had a scene where I was fighting, and I wish that one scene had stayed in. Because he's terrible at fighting, still on drugs, (laughs) 
and tearing down their posters and things. Oh, wow. And Like during the and, riots, your character actually, yes. wow. Yeah, he was fighting the kids who were fighting the school. Hmm. And, and people holding on to what they consider were the morals of the day and the changes that have finally gotten in, I think, if anything has changed, it's certainly the morality of this country. <laughs> I'm yes. not so sure for the best, but that's my personal point of view. Uh, you know, uh, okay. So some things were outdated, agreed, and they needed to be changed to like, come on, grow up. Uh, that was another issue of the film. There's a lot of issues in this film. But, there sure uh, is. You know, on the one hand, you have Elliot's character just, you know, returning from the, the Vietnam War, tr trying to continue his education. And it's like he's he's a divided character, isn't he, Robert? On the one hand, he sympathizes with the students. On the other hand, he realizes a lot of their shortcomings. And it seems like he's battling himself. You know, which path and which which direction am I going to go as a person? I, like Almost like a high-strung performance at times. There's plenty of moments where he's calm, but there's a lot of moments where he's got that pent-up energy, and or if he gets frustrated, he can get really angry. He has that big argument with Candace at one point where they're saying terrible things to each other. And right. uh, uh, But yes, uh, it was very interesting how tormented uh Elliot's character was and and his performance I mean I feel was Oscar worthy in my opinion I thought Elliot did a fabulous job I mean just tremendous he uh also his character had been through everything that these kids are now complaining about mm -hmm. he'd already done it yes. he'd already been to uh Montgomery and Selma in terms of that's right races he, he brings that up been to yes Vietnam. it's like jesus christ go ahead and do it but stop talking about it just do it you know and that's the point one of the points in the film is like you can talk all you want you don't get you don't get anything done he didn't get anything done with the head of the school the dean who's also a doctor he says you're a doctor you've done this you've done that let him go. Let let the kid go. Take it to him, Harry. You know, it's just take it to him. There's nothing to take to the kids. I mean, he, he could see both sides. Yes. He had the intelligence and the wherewithal, all that perception to see both sides of a problem. It's like, oh, man. It's like, we have to go on. And that all the time, that's why he wanted to be a teacher. He wanted to be a teacher. Why? Because he had the wherewithal that nobody was seeing to teach them correctly. He, he really did sincerely want to be a teacher. Remember how he said he loved kids? He, and, right. and I believe he actually wanted to go to a high school uh, and teach, if I recall correctly, instead of at the university. But he got himself in trouble because he asked your character to uh, you know, write a right. report uh, for him, and somehow it got discovered, and, and that was kind of a really a big deal. I think that actually had a huge impact on his decision-making. Um, but yes, that was an excellent description, Robert. And Robert, I'd like to ask you about something funny to me. 
Well, on the one hand, not so funny. Poor Elliot's character was always broke. Remember? I mean, yeah. the poor guy, like even to do his laundry, he had trouble uh, coming up with the full amount. I think it was 50 cents and he was trying to count pennies. Remember? And the guy said, yeah, I don't take pennies. And, right. and uh, uh, so anyways, it's the vehicle that you both often were in. And, and that Elliot drove around in. I think it was a 1958 Chevrolet, Chevrolet Bel Air Impala that used to break wow. down a lot, smoked. Um, oh, that was a lot of fun to see you two driving around in that car. Well, I would go to the dailies. That car would make me laugh. <laughs> the guys that worked on that to make things happen. I, there's one scene where the... Um, what do you call it? Just falls off for no reason. It just <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the car that just falls off oh on the inside uh, when you're shifting gears, you know. Oh my and goodness. I, it just falls off, and I, I lost it. I'm watching that, and I just there was always something about mechanics and things going <laughs> wrong. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I, it reminds me of, I don't know, there's a lot of humor. It's not yes. funny when it's you and you're trying to fix it. That's something. right. It's not funny if it's but, you or someone you know, but. No, uh, I, I remember there was a little handle on a stove that my mom said to my father once, can you fix that, Ed? And he went, yeah, after dinner, I'll fix it. So after dinner, I uh, the handle was a little loose. It wasn't even bad. I went out. I come back hours later that night. My father has the door <laughs> off the stove. He's got it on the kitchen table spread out. And I'm like, I mean, <laughs> this, all this to fix a little bit of thing. And I, I think he said, don't say it. Don't even say it. I walk in the door hours later, and he's got the entire door off and layers of whatever is inside the door. I mean, oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is to fix a little hand. I, but I get into stuff like that. You, yes, you go to fix yes. one thing, and you wind up fixing 15 <laughs> other things to get to the thing you want. Yes. That stuff has always made, I don't know, I grew up with that in my family, and it makes me laugh, just the concept. Right. Like yeah. So when my wife says, honey, can you fix it? I go, oh, I draw. I go, Jesus, <laughs> I have to get on the inside of something in order to find out how many other things I've got to do. <laughs> oh, yes. It can be disheartening when you get to instructions or if it's something like that. It's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm right no, there with you, now. Robert. Right there with yeah, you. Hey, no, do you recall when Elliot was uh, trying to roll up a, the passenger side window, and every time oh, he yeah. he moved it, the the side mirror would crack. <laughs> yes. Right. I, I mean, mean just fall. I I didn't even know how he drove that thing. It was in such bad shape, and uh, and that was a very so humorous moment when uh, you guys are in the car, Elliot's driving, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hold on, hold on a minute," and you jump out oh. and you're chasing that lady with all yeah. those children. Uh, trying to ask her to get girl. married, yeah. and I thought, yeah. "Oh my goodness!" Uh, but oh yeah, that, that, I had to ask you about that car. Now, I would love to ask you about some of your co-stars, Robert. I realize that some of them you did not necessarily work with on screen, um, but I did want to ask you about uh, some folks from the film. And um, let's see here. 
Harrison Ford was in it. Harrison Ford, yes, one of his earliest cinematic appearances. Did you have any right. interaction with him? I knew there were some party scenes. I mean, were you involved with any of those scenes? No, I don't think I had any scenes cut out with him. Just back to the car thing, there was one where Elliot and I are pushing it down the street and turning on at the same time. It's not in the film, it's gone. That was another one. Well, we oh. actually are pushing that car down the street. Really? Like like yeah, it just won't work anymore and you guys are pushing it. It's just pushing it. Oh, right. I wonder so, why they cut that out. That would have been fun to see. I'm telling you, half of what I filmed is out of the, out of the film. They need to put out a special but, edition, Robert, of, uh, you know, when they have bonus scenes. <laughs> I mean, that would be a great idea. That's funny. We, we could see that's these funny. scenes that you're mentioning. Um, well, there's several. There's actually several. There's one with Julianne Robinson. Yes, um, and this was her first credited film appearance. Well, well, she was from Oregon. She was from born in um, Eugene. She was, yeah, she was and, from that area. Isn't that something? And then yeah, she appeared yeah. in the film. And um, do you have any memories of spending time with her? Many. I yeah, see. I mean, she was. I just was like, are you kidding? I'm looking at this girl. And they introduced her to me as your girlfriend in the film. And I went, oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, she was, just, she was precious. And oh. this was all new to her. And uh, she had a couple of scenes. She's only in the one now. Mm -hmm. I was driving the Porsche when we drive up to get Elliot's books. That's the only scene she's in. There was an earlier scene with her, and we're making love or doing something, and that's out of the film. Oh, I see. Uh, so I tell you, half of what I shot is out. That film would have been way too long. I can't imagine other scenes that were out as well. Mm -hmm. It's that kind but, of movie, and, definitely. Well, it was the only scene that was not with Elliot. Isn't that interesting? It is. It really that is. The only, there were other scenes with Elliot that were not there. And then, no, there was a scene where I was fighting with other guys. And I think the only reason why it's out was time. And the other was, I. there was never a scene where he came down and pulled me out of the fight. Hmm. So, I... It, in other words, following what he did, that he would have come down and prevented them from beating up the character of Nick. I see. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So, and there was no such scene. So I can see why it was cut out. Very interesting. Um, now, Robert, do you recall, I mean, I know this goes back a few years, but do you mind if I ask, do you recall any conversations with Julia about her hopes for an acting career? Um, or did you find her really enjoying the experience? Yes, because um, much to my surprise, and a story that's just like one of those things that happens in your life and you're like, no one's going to believe this. Um, we talked about acting and we talked about New York. That's where I studied and that's the place to go, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we talked about a lot of things because there was a lot of, Downtime, And when you're on a set while you're rehearsing and before you rehearse, setting up lights and everything it can be very lengthy. So you get to know people. 
you talk a lot. You you go, you have lunch, you have dinner, blah, blah. And uh, because I had other scenes with her that are not now in the film, we got close. Um, there was uh, something that really was a couple of years later. I was filming in Canada at the, the Toronto airport. And believe it or not, we're shooting a scene there and in another film I did called Dealing. And she steps off the plane. Wow. Right where we're filming. Isn't that something? Well, it was funny because uh, one of the makeup guys said, oh, the most beautiful girl in the world is stepping off, is, is landing here today. And he was Canadian. I said, oh, Julia Robinson. You know, and he said, yes, she's going. I said, no, no, no. Julia Roberts is a friend of mine. He said, yes, she's landing here. I said, no, how? You said the most beautiful girl. That's one of the most beautiful girls that, at that time that I met. He said, yes, she's landing. I said, wait a minute. We're talking about the same girl. He said, yes, Julianne Roberts. She's, I said, I, I, you got to be kidding. So sure enough, say three o'clock, we're, right where we were filming. There were two guys with suits. She was coming up to do some post work on a film that she shot, and they shot in Toronto. And steps off, and they're walking towards where we're filming, and she sees me. And we, Bobby, where are you going? And we talk of this and that. I got a film. I'm here to do some work, dinner tonight. And, you know, and we hadn't seen each other for. So long. I got to tell you, it was one of the best dinners I ever had in Toronto. <laughs> I bet. I now, bet it was. Well, that's a nice surprise. Odds, what's, what are the odds of being in a foreign country, shooting at an airport, and one of your favorite people step off? It's plane? almost like it was what meant you, to happen. I got to tell you, I, I, you know, people look at me like, see, full of it. <laughs> you know, it's like that happened. Yeah. It's just interesting stuff happens in this business. I got to tell you. I mean, I have other wild stories like that. You're full that of are just And that's 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 an example right there. That's that's just an amazing story. I really enjoyed yeah, that story. And how sad <laughs> that just a few years later she would be gone. Um I, I believe gotta tell you, it happened so in Eugene funny. as well. The the apartment fire. Well, what happened, first of all, was I think before that, I shot a short film, Civil War film, 12 minutes, the first thing I ever directed. Okay. And I shot it up in Oregon, and oh, she's okay. in it. Oh, wow. It's, and, uh, yeah, it's, and it's a wonderful little film called Ballad Without End, and um, she's in it. Actually, shot it right after getting straight. Um, a couple of months after, I went back up and filmed this thing, and uh, and she has a quiet part. It's like a memory of something of one of the soldiers, and that's how I used her. Well, she was so—I don't know. She's just her looks was so unusual, and uh, a real honey, and. Also, she had looks that were perfect for that kind of dream 
quality. Mm-hmm. And um, she's quite a gal. She was quite a gal. And also, where I was sitting down and I heard of her demise, I went, what? Mm-hmm. I said, whoa. Now, I knew somebody to call. I called Paramount. There was somebody working there that uh, was from Oregon. So I called, they got through to him, and I said, babe, I got to ask you. And before he even asked him, he says, yeah, it's true. She's gone. I said, you got to tell me what. He said, yeah, there was an electrical fire, and she was asphyxiated. I said, it can't be. You can't. You cannot do that to this girl. It can't be. He says, it's done. It happened. It was a brand new building, apparently, and she had... After doing a couple of films of her own, she went back home, and but lived in this apartment place that caught on fire because of some electrical thing, and she was asphyxiated. I mean, I was like stunned. I was like, "You got to be kidding!" This young, beautiful girl was just really starting out. A couple of movies she did, uh, and I was like, "Wow!" Blew me away. It just stunned me. Sad situation. Anyway, sad situation. Yeah, it was. I mean, just think of all Very that sad. she was uh, potentially about to accomplish or or be a, a part of, and that's uh, that's just very sad. Yeah, it is. I don't mean to like you know harp on something like that, but it's like these are the things that you go through life and you experience, and you go, "My God, you know, yikes!" I mean, yes, and it makes you appreciate. You know, what you have or uh, any opportunities you have is when you hear about a situation like this, you know, um, how it can be taken away from you unexpectedly. And and you just got to really appreciate the moments that you have. And well, thank you for sharing such personal and intimate memories of her. I really appreciate it. Now, this film had a lot of older gentlemen in it. Uh, I guess you could say from classic Hollywood because, oh my goodness, many of them had worked for decades. And um, one of the gentlemen, though, you didn't have a scene with, I believe only with uh, Elliot's character, and that was Jeff Corey as Dr. Yes. Edward well, Wilhunt. But I believe you <laughs> had worked with him later down the road. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, we were in the same film, so I knew, hello, Jeff. He's also a teacher at certain times. But then I did a film with him called Shootout with Gregory Peck, and I played the outlaw, the bad outlaw. And Peck is just getting out of jail at the time, and he goes to this town where there's a saloon, and Jeff Corey is the saloon owner. And uh, it was nice working with him. it's, It's always nice to be working with the same actors again, and that's happened a few times where you're working with the same actors. Uh, there's always something about that having mm-hmm. having worked with somebody before, and now you're doing it again. It's uh, and he was casted so well, wasn't he, with his character? It was a perfect fit. Yeah, I uh, thought. Oh, Jeff, he was quite a actor. Yes. I mean, he goes back years and years. <laughs> yes. I mean, he, he played gangsters and all kinds of things in the earlier. I remember seeing him in the film noir uh, stage. You know, so he's been around a long time. I don't know. I bet he's done 200 movies. <laughs> I mean, he really was going there. And speaking of someone who was around a long time, Robert, 
Uh, he was born in 1890. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. He was born in wow. 1890, and that is Cecil yeah. Calloway. Oh. And uh, I thought I would ask you about any uh, memories of, uh, of him by chance. Yes, um, I remember him. I think I, we all stayed at what was called the Eugene Hotel, which probably was the only real hotel, but a very nice one. In Eugene, it was an old, old, wonderful hotel, not motel, hotel. And I remember meeting him, whether he came to the set or whether it was at there. And I, knowing I had grown up seeing this man in movies all my life, <laughs> I was so thrilled to meet him. And I was just, wow. And I remember meeting him. This is before we were filming anything, and I didn't film anything with him anyway. And he's wonderful in the movie, I think. And uh, yes. and I said, and first thing he's asked me was, how is it working with the director? And, it, you know, his voice sounded a little feeble. I said, no, he's fine. Richard Rush is good. And he says, how does he do if you forget your lines? And I, well, I think he'll be okay if that happens, because it did happen. And I think... Oh. He was very concerned about that. You know, he's mm. a professional. I mean, the guy sure. uh, has a resume that's like, wow. Oh, it goes, it goes yeah. way back. He's in classic films. Uh, Eighteen ninety, guys. He probably helped to build the industry. <laughs> yes, I mean, talk about you being know? there during the early days. <laughs> yeah, boy, has he got stories? Oh uh, my goodness. Just incidentally to the, everything we're talking, I used to love to work with the crews. I would eat with them and t get talk with them because mm -hmm. they were around and they would tell me stories oh, like wow. W.C. Fields, what he would be doing and how he would get get them to shut down a whole movie for the day. I mean, <laughs> the stories go on and on. And the, I love it. People That's acted funny. like this was a party. It would only last a certain time. And it'd be over. Mm -hmm. And they were unconventional, outrageous group of people. And the things they would do. And nobody could stop them. I mean, there was no laws about it. There were no union. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to hear their stories, even if they were exaggerated or whatever. <laughs> I didn't care. I just would just love, love to, to hear them. talk to them. Well, they would just go on and on and say yes. things. <laughs> oh, I, I love all the Hollywood w stories too. It's just I mean, great. I could listen to them all day. I mean, <laughs> it's just an outrageous comic to begin with. So then he would do unfold his jokes and wares on the set. I mean, what a what a day that must have been. And, and you know, up. Robert, you're mentioning about about him and his concerns about remembering the lines of course an older gentleman obviously but yeah. you know i don't know if you are aware this was actually his last film appearance no i did not know that and i just thought i'd share that with you because it kind of makes sense to me now maybe it sounds like maybe he realized you know he was just having difficulty remembering lines for whatever health reason just whatever that is but i always yeah. like it when an actor can still he still wants to do it. I just have to respect him for still saying, hey, I can still get this done if you work with me. Yes. 
Well, he did go up a couple times, but uh, and I remember it was in a way there was humor. I think for him it was terrible, but at the same time, uh, Rush would just you could just hear him say, "Keep it going, keep it running." All right, let's keep it going. In other words, he wouldn't stop and start. He'd just mm. say, that's fine. So let's just start over action. In other words, kept the cameras going. And that way, you know, piecemeal, he would get the lines out so that it, enough that he could cut from him to Elliot back again. Or like that uh, scene where they're having lunch and he, Elliot makes some kind of cocktail out of tomato juice and crackers. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. He makes like a soup or something. Yeah. So he has no money, but he has to make, you know, a glass of water, ketchup. and. and yeah, I think uh, he has that one line. Uh, I haven't, uh, my last meal was uh, uh, breakfast yesterday. I remember that was yeah. a line in the, in the movie. Right. So during those scenes, you know, and when they would shoot the singles on, um, on him, uh, if he went up in lines, they just keep mm. going and going. And uh, that's uh, good. There's something funny about the dailies, though. You never see the bloopers mm-hmm. that are on film. I mean, I I have seen bloopers that you would just die. You are rolling in the aisles because actors will do something or say something, and it's so off. <laughs> <laughs> it's so off. You just die. You just die. I did a film with Gregory Peck, and there was a point where he had to draw on me and fire and then put his gun back in the holster. And after we did that, Henry Hathaway was the director. He said, Hank, I missed my holster. I'm going to tell you, I, there's something very funny about Gregory Peck <laughs> firing a gun and then missing and then missing it. and you yeah. see it on film I gotta tell you I just I cannot <laughs> <laughs> it's just you, yeah you, you're right you don't see stuff like that and um, yeah, you, if, if you saw the film Shane and you saw Jack Palance miss his holster I mean you're gonna you're gonna pee your pants. <laughs> well, Robert, just, I'm gonna ask you about the leading lady of the film, but you have me uh, now thinking of a a question on the fly here. Okay, um, I know we've sure. discussed Charles Bronson um, extensively before when you were first on, and you and you and did uh, earlier on this episode, which I enjoyed so much. Uh, but I'm just wondering, uh, do you recall? Um, you know, you know, actors like messing up a line it's normal even if you're well prepared there could be many reasons for it did you ever oh, yeah. recall that happening to charles and how like what kind of actor was was he in regards to handling uh, just a, a mistake or an error like that uh, charlie um charlie was really cool i i gotta tell you i i don't remember any big bloopers with him probably very well prepared i bet very well uh, but he, uh, <laughs> something happened. I had to do something in a movie, Murphy's Law, and there was something I just, I didn't want to do it. It was to me degrading and unnecessary. I don't even know if I could say what it was here. And gotcha. You probably would do better to edit it out. But there was a, uh, um, 
there was this this male well what it was was a masturbation machine in a drawer and at one point I'm protecting Charlie while he's on the run as a cop and he opens the drawer and pulls this thing out and says what's this Uh, and I you know before we filmed it I said guys I don't get this you really want this thing it's so this and that and they went well it's in the film and I went let me tell you something I said he's trusting me as a cop and his partner and that he would take this out of the drawer and then go this is my partner for you I said it doesn't go anywhere and now it hangs on Bronson now Charlie's watching me (laughs) 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 kind of secretly very slightly, <laughs> kind of shaking his head, just watching me go to work. And they went, yeah, well, based on that, we don't need it. And, uh, what do you think? And uh, yeah, the director, no, I don't I don't have to have that. And uh, Charlie's smiling a little bit. Okay, okay we'll take it out. <laughs> Wise decision, <laughs> I think. And it's not in the, no, there's two or three things that I've done to get things out of a film. Because I was like so disgusted with it. And it was just gratuitous. It had nothing to do with anything. It had nothing to do with the movie, the character, the relationship. It had nothing. It was a shock. It, it was pointless. Uh, I, I'm glad pointless. it's not in the film. It, it just... Uh, it, I was disturbing. Pointless. Yes. No, and my... So I had tremendous win. To me, that was like... I got that damn thing out of the Well, good movie. job. <laughs> no, I've had to do two or three things. I've gotten things out of movies that just like, guys, you got to be kidding. Because I really what? enjoy Murphy's Law. That's, I mean, I, I really enjoy yeah. that film. I like, I like the concept with him and the, and the young lady on the run and being framed. And I really right. liked Murphy's yeah. Law. Yeah, so what's the point of putting that crap in there? I just, I... It would have been distracting, know. too. I, I just would not... I, I just, I agree with you. So very, very well done, and thank you for sharing that, Robert. Now, did you have any memories of of your time with Candace Bergen, by chance? Who, wow, uh, what a sensational performance from her as well. Yeah, I thought it was. It was excellent. Uh, I don't know that she was considered a great actress, but I thought she had moments in this that was, and Elliot, I think helped her in a couple of scenes that, uh, they worked very well together and, and yes. she's so pretty. Uh, yeah, she was really beautiful in it. Yeah. Exceptional looks, uh, and films beautifully from any angle. I mean, she's really an attractive woman. Yes. And very um, natural, um, in her scenes, I thought. Like yeah, there was a naturalness yeah. to her. Um, and I keep thinking about that argument that her and Elliot have that really nasty <laughs> put down argument. That, that's quite a yeah. moment in the film where you're like, well, there's no way those two can get back together. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a scene in there with a Dr. Greengrass or something. His name is Richard Andrews. He was a friend of mine. Oh, okay. and, uh, we were under contract to Screen Gems together. So it was interesting 
that uh, we were now working together in a, in a, in a Richard Rush film. And he had worked on um, an earlier Rush film, one of the uh, motorcycle jobs, which I helped him get. Um, very he nice. looks very... He, he's the, the doctor who's the gynecologist. Yes, that, that Elliot and, and gets and jealous over. <laughs> very. I know what a G-Y-N is. <laughs> <laughs> and he's insulting uh, Candace, uh, her character uh, in this scene, and he's just sitting next to her going, wow, he's a really funny guy. <laughs> yes, that's right. Nelly's getting more picked up, pissed off by like, yeah. Very funny stuff. Well, this well, is a wonderful Richard, time Richard. for me to ask you, Robert, um, working with Richard Rush, you, you discussed some of the approaches he took with filming, with the fading in and out and all of that. Uh, I just have to say, I love so many of the shots. In fact, it seems to me like every shot was good. And uh, I felt like it wasn't just done for the sake of doing it. I just felt like he knew what uh, the urgency of the scene was, if it was the riots. He knew if it was uh, an emotionally intense scene, like Elliot's character breaking down at the end. I, I, I really enjoyed the results of the film, but what was it like to be directed by the man? Well, I, it's funny that you say that because he basically gave me one note. There's the opening shot of Elliot trying to go through school, get books, blah, blah, blah. While even the credits are going on. And then there's the scene where I open the door with him and say, Hey, Harry, do you want to go somewhere? And he goes, no, listen, you got the money out of you. When we rehearsed it, and I said, yeah, I got it written down. He said, okay, he came down and he looked at me and he says, um, can you play it like, like it's the greatest thing you owe Harry Bailey money. It's really a nice thing. You owe Harry Bailey money. And I went, what a great idea. <laughs> and, and, that's how I arrived at that drugged out thing. And went, yeah, yeah, I got it written down. Like that's a wonderful thing. You know, I've got it written down. It doesn't answer the thing <laughs> at all. And, and, um, uh, it, that was the first note and it gave me, it set me up for the whole character. Very One note. He never gave me another note. When we did the big scene that we already talked about at the end, that mm -hmm. four and a half minute scene, and I said, Jesus, we're rehearsing here. I said, he's that stoned on drugs. And I said, oh. I said, maybe he comes in and he's laughing. He said, yes, he should be. Set it up. Those are the only two things he ever said to me that I recall. Wow. But most of it was just cutting me loose. Yeah. Wow, but that's I, great that he trusted your... Uh, instincts as an actor. I've had very few, thank you, I've had very few directions in my life. Mm. And um, I asked, I said to one director once, listen, I could do this. He said, you were hired, so we didn't have to do this conversation. I'm putting the camera in that direction. Do what you want. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Priest said that to me, and I went, oh, I love it. Me, me, I, I, I'm not trying to brag. What I'm saying is I loved acting so much and in film and television. I worked very hard, but that was my job. And it wasn't work to me. 
uh, like Jackie Cooper used to say to me, hey, kid, this beats work, huh? <laughs> he did. He used to say. So and, much and fun. Like, yes. Yes. It's like, Jesus Christ, this isn't like work. It just doesn't feel like work. And then I realized, no, if you love something, it's never work with the idea of like effort that I don't want to be a part of. I've had scenes, like I told you before, where I don't want to film that because it's disgusting and has no place in the film. So now I figured out a way to get it out of there. I laid it on Charlie. I said, you know, the star of the film now is going to trust me after finding this in his in, in his house, this disgusting thing. And I went, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Charlie, yeah, something. So there you, you go. find yeah. ways to get things done. No, I got it out of the film. That's right. Well, it's nice. It's nice to do things that are wanted in the film or that you bring. You bring mm-hmm. your ideas. Uh, Rush had no idea when I came through that door that I'd be laughing like that. He did not know because we never rehearsed it. Wow. Well, he was in for a surprise. Well, was yeah, Elliot was aware that you were going to do that? Nobody was. Well, that must have really surprised him more than anybody, I bet. <laughs> well, it was such an insane moment mm-hmm. that they just didn't say anything. You just left it alone. I mean, it was so outrageous. I almost couldn't stop laughing. I was laughing so hard. And I would just let the lines fall where they, where they fell. Mm-hmm. And we would shoot it over and over. He never said a word. Don't say it. The smart thing about smart directors, don't say anything. When it's going well, just let it go. He never bothered me. He never said another thing to me. Well, that might be in the top five of all-time on-screen laughing moments. I, th- I think yeah, you mu- I think is. you're on that list, Robert. It's one of the most outrageous moments on film. Uh, I got wonderful validations from some top actors like, that said I should have gotten an Oscar. And I thought that was very nice. George Kennedy, I worked with him. I have to agree with him. I worked with him twice. When I met him, he said, why didn't you get an Oscar for that? Do you think the film was a bit underappreciated by the Academy? I don't think it was as big a hit. Of all the films that were um, filmed about that period of college and war. There were three or four of them. Strawberry Statement, mm-hmm. Getting Straight. There was another one. Getting Straight was the best. Mm-hmm. And it it went the furthest that they made the most money. But oddly enough, it wasn't that big. You know, it wasn't overpowering mm-hmm. at the theaters, I don't think. It was just a damn good film. It plays today. The only, yes. You know, the only thing it actually looks like we're talking about the subjects of today. Exactly. Because we are. And remember, the Robert... things are... You know, it's amazing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no problem. You know, remember, um, before we started the interview today, I, I told you off the air that I viewed the film twice, but it was the second viewing where the film just grabbed me. And you know right. what? You kind of just summed up how I feel about it. Just a damn good film. If you, if you enjoy seeing outstanding acting with a storyline that's 
in-depth and intriguing, an intelligent script. That was refreshing, a very intelligent script. I, I mean, this film has it. Yeah, it's intense. I thought it was intense. It, it's, it's no different than today. The chaos, the craziness, yes. the war, rights on women, uh, racism. It's all going on. It's just... So we're I still dealing you, with these issues that these students were so angry yeah. about. It, isn't that something to think about? Yeah. I mean, hairstyles, that's about the only thing that's changed. <laughs> and some of the outfits, maybe, as well. But uh, yes. yes. Now, Rich, uh, uh, um, Robert, I have a very interesting question for you. Um, I mean, what do you think happened to your character? What do you think happened to Nick down the road? That's a fascinating thing because I know what was going to happen at one point and and because uh, I got a call, uh, I believe, or I spoke to her name was Sheila Murphy. That was the guy who was the secretary at the time. And a few years later, I ran into her or something. She said, guess what? They're getting together to do a sequel to Getting Straight. And I think it was like 20 years later or wow, something. Wow, I never heard about this. I was thrilled. I went, what? And I, right away, I was wondering, what would Nick be? I, I saw him as living in a, the worst trailer out in the desert, still stoned, and somehow Harry's going to look him up. Hey, man, and you'd get the same guy. <laughs> is the way I perceived him to be. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, whether that was an wow. idea that was shot at me or that's the way, one of the ways I thought that that could work. That could and be very interesting. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but it never came to pass. And it was like, I thought, I think that was wow. 10 years later or 20, whatever it was, 10 years later, let's just say for uh -huh. conversation. And, and then it didn't get done. And it was like, oh, no. Well, that's a shame. I would have, uh, yeah, it is. I would have been really uh, interested in to see what happened to all the characters. Yeah. Well, oh, I get wow. the, I get the um, people will say Robert F. Lyons, the, what, the, something, the scuffy haired uh, guy from Getting Straight. What, I love how people write freely about you in a movie. And that was a wig. Because, that was huh. a wig of war. In the <laughs> so the shaggy hair, I'm going, yeah. you guys, you don't do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just don't do your homework. Now, um, do you keep in touch with Elliot to this day, or have you seen him more for no, the I've, years? I've, yeah, I've run into him here and there at restaurants. or I see. Um, We met on the sidewalk when they were putting a... Um, um, when Charles Durning, who was a very dear friend of mine for many, many years, um, nominated once uh, for a film, um, they gave him a walk on Hollywood Boulevard. They gave him uh, his, you know, Charles Durning thing, um, mm. walk of fame, you know. Uh, I ran into Elliot there. We had a conversation. How you doing? Nice to see you. Blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing. And we hadn't seen each other for years. So wow. every once in a while, you run into each other. You know, I've done that with 
I don't know, actors over the years, you know. Or you run into them. It used to be at the studios, but now you don't get to just go to the studios to have lunch. I, you know, I got to do a whole number to do that. And I hate wearing a mask and all that crap. So, um, no, I, I, I can't say that I'm running into actors. I do have a friend from a television movie um, that I did back in 72, Jeff Pomerantz, a uh, wonderful actor. I run into him more frequently than I think any of the others. Um, that was a big hit. That went on for five years, that series, mm -hmm. The Rookies. So, yeah, Jeff, I, I see. And I'm trying to think of who else. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm very curious to hear if you two had uh, run into each other. and um, No, just once in a while. Just once in a while. Well, the movie magic you guys made lives on. There's no doubt about that. Well, you know who his first wife was, who Elliot's first wife was? Barbara Streisand. Oh. For some reason, I was a, not, uh, I, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. They have a son together. I think they were married in New York. I think they did a Broadway show together. I could be wrong about that. Uh -huh. but, but I know Elliot's a New York guy. And so is Barbara. I think uh, both born there. I see. I think. I'd have to check. But I know she was. I think she was born there. And, um, and he did Broadway. I thought they met on a Broadway show years ago. And, uh, you know... And they have a son, Jason, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. They only had one child together. That may be her only child. And his, uh, that I don't know. But he was married to Barbara Streisand. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that goes back. Well, let me ask you, Robert, as we conclude here, when you think about the time after the film was released, right? Um were you pleased with the critical response? Did you feel like uh, maybe some critics didn't quite grasp what was trying to be accomplished? Or just what was your reaction afterwards when all was said and done? Wow, great question, Stephen. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I don't know. I was still such a young actor you know, just thrilled to be working. I mean, I'd have done this for nothing. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was like play and to work out the problems. I was thrilled. I was thrilled with that. When people say, what films do you like best? I usually go, I don't know about films, but there are scenes in various movies. <laughs> I look at it that way. I love that scene. I love that mm -hmm. piece of work. And, and, I mean, I feel like some of my best work was done in acting classes, frankly. <laughs> I really do. Wow, that's uh, that's great to hear. That's a great... Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I love acting classes with all that. The benefits are just endless. Yeah, well, some of the things that I adventured into or was pushed into, I'm very proud of that the work was so fully done and and worked on and, and, and the adventures we had very briefly was that, you know, this Stephanie Faulkner, I think is there. She's a black actress 
1975, came to me and said, would you do this scene with me? And I read it, and, oh, yeah, okay. And it really had to do with a, a, a mixed marriage who were getting divorced, a black woman and white guy. And they, the dialogue is intense, gee. Well, what we decided to do is to go to a restaurant and sit and watch people watching us. And it happened. I mean, we had a blast so that we could get into some of the things that happened with uh, white people watching a white guy and a black chick eating dinner together. Today, it's pretty <laughs> much more in common. But in the 70s, mm-hmm. this was not that common. So, And then when we did our work in, in class, it just helped so much that we took that extra step to go out and have dinner as a couple in public and to pick up the view, you know, people watching us. It was like, holy shit. It was amusing. (laughs) It really was like, wow. And it did bleed into certain dialogue because it's an intense play. Um, What the hell is the name of it? Um, uh, The Gingham Dog is the name of it. Brilliantly, the Gingham Dog. It was a play, and um, you know we just knocked the daylights out of this thing. So, and there was things like that, or Long Day's Journey I did, and um, and played Edmund, and it was some of the best work I ever did in my life. I really had to do work on this thing. So, you know, as people say, what about that film? I go, yeah, but. There was a scene here and here. I really liked that scene. So it was more of the scenes in various films yes. that I that I liked, you know. And there's some TV shows. I go, yeah, everything's fine. Um, but there'll always be a scene where I can do something, you know, looking for that special moment that's different or no other actor's done yet or didn't do it this way. That's the way I was taught so that... Mm. You know, you're, you're really taking care of your work. You're not just uh, looking for a paycheck. So that's those are, those principles I actually functioned with and worked on for the most part. Well, I really Did appreciate I uh, the time you've spent with me today. I, this has been such a sentimental conversation and I feel like I almost went back in time and walked on the set a little bit because you've shared so many stories and, and things that I wasn't aware of. And I just have to say, um, I enjoyed every moment of, of speaking with you again, um, Robert, and just thank you so much for sharing your memories of, of working with Elliot Gould and, and, and your outstanding performance and getting straight with me. Uh, thank you so much. Wow, well, Stephen, I enjoy it. I love doing this kind of thing. I've done several. This is the second one with you. Yes, and, sir. Uh, and I hope I there'll be a third. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, you know, I have another one on film to do uh, a week from today wow. regarding Death Wish too. So I, very exciting. I enjoy these things. I really do. It's, uh, it's nice that anyone would even want to hear about it. I keep asking that I should write the book. I have friends that say, you better write the book. I have so many stories what? that are Is outrageous. that a possibility? 
Do you yeah, see yourself is. writing um, a book? Uh, because you have such wonderful and interesting and and fun stories. Oh, oh, I have stories on film, like with Peck. You, you just can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't believe that this happened, and it happened. There's something that happened with Peck and I in a scene while it was going on. It's just stuff you just go, oh my god, you know, you know, it's just outrageous and especially as a young actor anyway so uh, you know i mean I, you got one minute i'll tell you quickly what it was absolutely what what happened with tech was that there's a scene where i'm supposed to slap him in this film called shootout it's not my favorite film mind you and and just before the film and peck was a wonderful man and the way he spoke is just the way he, he is in movies. He's that way in life. He was a lovely man. I cannot tell you. And he said, Bob, I'm going to take the slap, so I'll go with it. And we rehearsed it, and, you know, and I said, okay. And he moved with my hand as a slap. Okay, so then we're filming, and I don't know, either he moved in or I moved in. I come across, and when you work for this director, everyone swings like John Wayne. I hit him on the side of the head. I almost knocked him out. Oh, and oh, he wow. stayed in the scene and uh, I hit him on the side of the head and a blood vessel popped in the white of his eye and we finished the scene he, and he dazed and he went, geez, the kid connected, got me and his entourage came in, grabbed him and they're looking at me like you dirt ball and I'm going, oh no, no, I couldn't believe it. And I waited till later in the afternoon, went over and knocked on his trailer. And he came and he said, hey, Bob. I said, oh, man. He said, oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. Come on. Stuff like that happens, working for that maniac. was <laughs> <laughs> Henry Hathaway. I said, no, you've got to see it from my point of view. I just punched Gregory Peck in the head. <laughs> and, he, and he had a great sense of humor about it. He wasn't upset. And we talked about it. And we had our other war stories about stuff that happens, unfortunately, on on film. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just a wonderful man that he could absorb that kind of behavior and recognize that it was not intentional and it was just a, one of those bad accidents where somebody actually got hurt a little bit. Anyway, that's the story. And, uh, Punching and Gregory Peck. Now, not everybody can say that, even if it wasn't. Yeah, accident. right in that head. <laughs> well, and that that says a lot about him as well to, to respond in such a professional manner, yeah. Um, yeah, instead yeah. of creating a a negative experience afterwards. He he was completely understanding and truly, Absolutely. truly an incredible actor as well. You've got that exactly correct. So, Stephen, thank you. Thank you for listening. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Now available on Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. The episode is titled, Robert F. Lyons, Hollywood Memories and Stories.
you actually started in theater before television and film work. Yes, that's true. And what do you uh, find appealing about theater? Or when you look back to those early days, what were you enjoying about the theatrical experience as an actor? Well, I think the whole thing of training at that time was theater. Uh, We're talking in the the, uh, late 1950s. The preparation was mostly acting, which included uh, whatever medium you were doing it at. But theater, the wonderful thing about theater is it's live. It's now. You have to be able to sustain that performance for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours. And you feel the audience. You're right there with them. Um, You get extra, what I feel, perception, awareness of what performing is. You know when you're working well. You can feel they are with you. So uh, I learned things in stage acting that... I had no idea. I thought all acting provided that for you. Because when I got to Hollywood, I went, wait a minute, where's the audience? (laughs) (laughs) You can listen to this episode anytime by heading over to season two, episode number 84 of the podcast. I hope you will enjoy listening to Robert's first visit to Hollywood and beyond. Thank you. See you on another episode of Hollywood and Beyond. Thanks for listening.